Welcome into the Lockdown Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Alex has the day off. So today I am joined by Brendan Clean, host of the Lockdown Suns podcast. He also covers the Suns for the great SB Nation blog, Bright Side of the Suns, and writes about basketball at a myriad of other places. Brendan joins me today to talk the Suns' playoff runs and, and their rebuild and how it relates to the Knicks and how the Knicks could could maybe, over, over a stretch of time, replicate their efforts and turn themselves into one of the best teams in the NBA. Uh, disclaimer on this one, we recorded this about seven hours before Game 4, so we talk about that and we preview the game. I know when a lot of you hear this, Game four will already be over, so apologies for that. But I, I think the, the the factors that Brendan said will influence Game four will continue to influence the rest of the series. So all that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. You are locked on next. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Moment segment coming up later in the episode. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw, a resumed play-by-play broadcaster. As previously mentioned, Alex Wolf is off for this one, but we are joined by a very special guest. It's Brendan Clean, who writes about the Suns at the fantastic SB Nation blog, Bright Side of the Suns, writes for Dime, writes for a number of other places. He's newly verified on Twitter, as am I. And most importantly for our purposes, he's the host of the Locked on Suns podcast, Brendan How's it going? And uh, man, how how are you doing? How, how's how's this journey been for you covering the Suns team? Oof, I don't know how much time you have, but uh, anyone who knows the Suns knows it is a long time coming for not only fans but those of us media members who have held out um, and stayed with this squad for as long as we have. So very cool to see this fan base get the chance to root for a good, a great team finally again and. Honestly, for you know, some of the people in and around the organization that stuck it out as well. So, uh, very, very happy times in the valley out here, and happy to be on the show. I, I got to be honest, Brendan. I am, I am extremely jealous, as you know, and, and people, people uh, who listen to this podcast know. As I mentioned incessantly, I covered the Suns throughout college. I guess it was, it was about 2015 through. 2017, not not exactly a, a, a gilded era for the Suns. You saw the dark days. You're one of the few who got to be around the the, the bad yeah. times. So you're a, you're an alumni. It yeah. was it was it was surreal. I did uh, I, I did get one year of, of Devin Booker. So the light the light was kind of cracking through. I got a variety of really bad slogans. Ignite the future is still uh, oh, will forever ring in my ears. And now that the future is ignited, it. It, it it feels it feels predetermined. It feels like they knew something was going to happen. And it just it took a little bit longer than everyone thought. It was like when when your uh, when your lighter runs out of fluid. Basically, it was just four years early was really all that. The I just I was. just took a while to go to the shop to get it refueled. Yeah, it exactly. was it, it was it was a long runway. But at the same time, I do I do have that jealousy and darkness in my heart. But I also I feel happy for you. I feel happy for Suns fans. As someone who still identifies as a Suns fan, I feel happy for myself. I, I keep saying. 
Like as like for, for the Knicks and Suns, it, it hasn't been ten seasons of bad basketball from 2010 to 2020, excluding 12-13 for the Knicks. It's been 19 of the last 20 years that have been genuinely awful. And for this to finally turn around for both teams in the same year has been pretty amazing. So I, I wanted to start off here, Brendan. Um, I, I'm we'll circle back and we'll talk about this current series against the Clippers, but. I kind of want to know um, if I'm taking away some lessons during this podcast for my Knicks and rebuilding teams across the league. What should the rest of the NBA learn from the Suns and, and how they got to this spot? I worry sometimes when I get questions like this that it's going to end up sounding really corny because a, a lot of the things that I'm going to cycle through that I think and truly believe are pretty fundamental to how the Suns turn this thing around are going to come They come off as you know, sports cliches, but I really think when you were as like, you get it, Gavin, but like the, some people might not understand just how bad it was in Phoenix. And, you know, I guess, you know, the, the ownership situation, Knicks fans probably do have some ways to, to, uh, to kind of feel this pain too, but it was horrible. I mean, it was a, it was a culture of losing. It was coach after coach after coach. It was, failed draft picks it was rooting the only good night of the of the year was lottery night and maybe draft night but even then you didn't really feel great and so you had to start from the ground floor it was the 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 base level of bricks to come in and that was what James Jones basically had to do he got the job out of nowhere and the basically week leading up to um the 2018-19 season and had to start from the, from scratch. So, you know, hired, ended up eventually hiring Monty Williams as the coach due to their relationship from Portland and built a culture from there. It was, you know, we're going to get rid of guys who aren't going to buy in, who don't have a commitment to this program, which was the vast majority of the roster. Um, it was, you know, buy-in from the owner, getting a, a legitimate coaching staff in the door, getting front office people and stats people and those types of guys that just had not been a focus or a priority or at least could not, you know, Mick Ryan McDonough previously could not get the sign off to get them. And from there, you know, once they had the infrastructure, it's all right, what do we want this team to look like? We're going to have a lot of shooters. We're going to have a lot of guys who play hard and we're going to put players around Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton specifically. But I think Booker most importantly, who compliment them who who are going to make them better and you saw that starting with Mikhail Bridges who uh, James Jones had a big role in trading for even though McDonough was still around you saw that with Ricky Rubio who eventually obviously leads to Chris Paul Jay Crowder another example Cam Johnson these guys who just compete at a really high level and do a lot of things that you want role players and complementary pieces to do and Obviously, like you said, Devin Booker arriving was the beginning of something new, but it's it's only one step. And so they had a lot of work cut out for them. And this is, I think, the payoff of basically this two, three year plan that Jones put in place. I, I think it's I think it's so interesting that you note that because to me, I, I sometimes look at it in like a really like raw analytical sense and say the Suns were were sort of the beneficiaries of having a long runway, right? When you're rebuilding and, and you suck for ten seasons inevitably you're going to, I mean, along that path, just by the nature of being bad for that long, it means you had a lot of misses, right? And for the Suns, we all know the names is Marquise Chris. It was Dragon Bender. It was Josh Jackson. It, it was 
I mean, Ed, this looks like less of an issue now, but but still in a holistic sense, passing on Luka Doncic, um, trading uh, people forget this one, uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, uh, yeah, which that which was is or Marquise Chris, yeah, yeah, right. So that's that's kind of a double no no, but um, and but oh, then over that time, like almost like you could argue either incidentally or I'm sure Ryan McDonough would fairly like say, hey, I, I deserve some credit for this getting Devin Booker at 14, which is going to go down as one of I mean, if his career trajectory continues on the path it's currently on, like quite literally one of the greatest single draft picks of all time. Uh, Give credit for taking DeAndre Ayton at the very least over someone like Marvin Bagley or or even Jaron Jackson Jr. at number one, because as his playoffs is showing, he has immense utility at a position that you have to have an incredibly varied and high-level skill set at this point in the NBA to have utility, and he's he's shown that he's gotten there. Uh, Bridges, you mentioned, like, the perfect complimentary piece to Booker and to Aiden Cam Johnson, who fits in seamlessly as well. Then you, you, um, and then when they finally, I guess, got the right guys in the front office and the right coach in place. And and you had this, this window where you're saying, all right, we can, we can maximize this right now. We have the cap space to bring in someone big. You trade for that game changer in a hall of fame point guard and Chris Paul. And you bet on the fact that he's not too old and he still has enough left to really change the trajectory of this team. That was a home run. And you get someone like Crowder, who I don't, I, I know, I know you, you mentioned him, but I, I don't think can be overrated in terms of how big of an impact he's had on this team and having that, that another one of those three and D wings to stick in there. And to he's me, that to the finals, right? Right. Exactly. Just, yeah. You, you get him and you head to the NBA finals. So yeah, it can't be understated. No, it's, it's, it, it's amazing. And, and it just, it's a team that, I mean, again, to excuse another cliche, but genuinely feels to be greater than the sum of their parts. Um, All right, guys, it's time for a brand new segment. It's Ultra Moment. Not the easiest choice this week since the Knicks didn't have a game, so I'll I'll honor our guest, Brendan Clean, and talk about one from the Suns. Uh, The the Valley Oop, as they're calling it. DeAndre Ayton taking a back screen from Devin Booker that caught Avika Zubac in the chest sneaking uh, into the lane and Jay Crowder throwing uh, one of the better passes I've ever seen over the top of the backboard, perfect trajectory on it, got it right to Aiton, took advantage of the fact that there is no offensive goaltending call on a pass in from out of bounds, and Aiton flushed it home for one of the more miraculous endings to a playoff game I've ever seen, and, and a city and, and a team in, in Phoenix, and a fan base, I'll say. That was deserving of some joy, some happiness, some enjoyment. I would say all those words are relevant to that play. I was I was smiling ear to ear as I watched it. So you can go check out tons of other exciting ultra moments with the hashtag ultra moment. Remember, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at only two points of carbs and 95 calories, it's easy to enjoy. Joy creates success. I would say this was a case of success creating joy as well. So that works both ways. And you got to remember in the end, enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. All right, uh, we are back with Brendan Clean. But first, I want to remind you, today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoffs coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Now back with Brendan to enjoy talking about the Phoenix Suns. Well, that's exactly, yeah. if, if I can just yeah, go jump ahead. in back to the cliches, that's exactly the um, the reason why I think it can be so 
you get to a, a basically a level where it does become difficult to really microanalyze much of what's going on. There's it, it's like I can tell you what makes Cameron Payne great as a basketball player. We've all seen it. He's quick. He can finish. He's crafty. He's smart. He's efficient. All those things. But and he competes on defense. But like there is a certain level of bringing a guy like that into your program and having him score 29 points in one of the best games in franchise history in game two of the Western Conference Finals, where it's like, what, what, what is there really to say that we're going to find on, on, you know, Synergy Sports, right? It's like they got, they got that performance out of pain and they've gotten similar ones out of other guys on this roster because they committed to culture building, to player development, to, you know, a system that would make its players better and, and that's what you're just seeing the fruits of right now. And so it it does, it, it's both. Obviously, you have to have talent. I'm not trying to underestimate the, the greatness of some of the individual pieces here, but there is some breaks that they've gotten simply because of some of those intangible things that, you know, don't necessarily always factor into how we talk about basketball. So I guess um, bringing this back to the Knicks, where most people here is probably just perked up. Um, I, I want to kind of grade the Knicks roster building right now on the Sun scale. So I'm gonna I'm gonna make some comparisons. I see Julius Randle. You can I, I guess I think you almost have to put him in the Chris Paul role as the oldest guy on the team in, in terms of age. He's he's closer to Devin Booker. And I think the issue for the Knicks right now is like I can I can make player to player comparisons. I can say, all right, Randall's your Chris Paul, uh, R.J. Barrett is is maybe your your Devin Booker, Mitchell Robinson, Emmanuel Quickly. That's your that's your Mikael Bridges. That's your Cam Johnson to some extent. Um, Reggie Bullock, or or if they presumably a better version of him would, would be Jay Crowder. But that that's sort of the the catch in all those comparisons is the Suns in, in each of the spots that the Knicks have these guys. The Suns have a better player not not even a better version of the player because we're talking about completely different like player types and positions in a lot of cases but yeah I'm I look at the Knicks and I'm like how can they get to this point and maybe it's the simplest answer is they just have to like add another superstar and that they're not really going to follow the Suns model they're they're going to have they're going to Randall they're going to sign another star and and if you say Randall's quote-unquote their booker then then maybe their Paul is someone like a Bradley Beal or not not Kawhi Leonard specifically but someone of that stature that they get in free agency or if that doesn't happen for them, the way that they can get there is someone like R.J. Barrett or Emmanuel quickly making that leap. But just from afar, Brendan, looking at this this Knicks team from the opposite side of the country, what do you see about their future? And I mean, this was this was a Suns rebuild that sort of snuck up on all of us. I mean, even as far back as a year ago, I would argue that things look promising with, with Ricky Rubio at the helm. This was certainly a team that was more yeah. fun to watch. But before the bubble and before they went 8-0 in the bubble, I wasn't looking at them and saying, all right, they are on track to make a finals next year. I was saying they're on track to be kind of like a first round and out, second round and out. Like best case scenario, sort of what the Utah Jazz have been the last couple of years. And then they have that bubble run and completely accelerate things. So do you, do you see any of that latent potential within the Knicks? And I guess what shifted for the Suns that sort of took them to that next step? Well, I'm going to be honest with you and, and your listeners that I didn't expect the Suns to be a finals team until uh, two weeks ago. <laughs> so, yeah, well, same, same thing, and we'll, we'll talk not, about that. But Not that I uh, underestimated them, or I actually was higher on them than I think most of like you know the average NBA fan would have been, but they've, they've even surpassed what we thought heading into the postseason. So that's, I think, something to keep in mind is that 
they have really upped the, their own ante at every turn. But I would, I would say something a little bit different, which is that to me, Randall is probably, you said age-wise, closer to Booker. And I actually kind of think that's the better way to look at this. Um, and you know this team better than me, but I kind of feel like you in New York are waiting for the Chris Paul, right? You're yeah. like, this is the, this is the team that's going to prove that it can win and, and get the interest, pike the interest of a superstar when the next time one becomes available and, and they're looking around. And so I think, you know, Randall being sort of the guy who played at an all-star level and led the team to respectability is going to be, the guy that opens the floodgates for the next player. And I, you know, and then from there, it's like, I do see some similarities. I think like the ability to hit on players like Mitchell Robinson and Emmanuel quickly late in the draft and allow, you know, yourself basically as a franchise to make up for some of the misses. And we don't need to go through the Knicks misses either in the draft, but you have to start to build depth if you don't have the high end talent. And I think that's what we started to see from these Knicks as well. So that's, that's sort of where I, where I kind of feel the comparison is because, you know, I think something that got lost about how the Suns built this team is Chris Paul wanted to come here. Like that, that was, he made no mistake about that and was very open and, and honest. And he's reminded us of it at every turn because he, I think wants some credit for correctly identifying the promise that, that they had but also I think wants to talk up the teammates that he's come to love. So that's where we are. I think with the Knicks is, you know, what superstar is going to look at what they're building and maybe it's not this summer. Maybe it's another season of this. Maybe they improve on, you know, the rest of the roster and then really set set themselves up. We know the Julius Randall, you know, free agency stuff and all of the different elements to that, but What's going to be the, the, the infrastructure that's going to be set up to where, uh, whether it is a trade, which is what it took for Paul, or just free agency that's going to have a superstar look at it and say, like, I can be the guy that puts this over the top. And that's really exciting because I think that for the first time in a while, both of these franchises can really say that they are in a position to do that. All right, guys, it's that time. Let's take our second break and remind you that this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questions like, is your Odyssey at LX or an EX? And wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to Rock Auto at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Honda Odyssey fuel pump is $353 from a chain store. It's $216 from Rock Auto. At the end of the day, Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Go explore their easy-to-use website today to find the solution to your auto parts needs. You can do that at rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. And today's episode is also brought to you, as always, one of our frequent favorites by Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing, and you can track all the action at Bet Online. 
Get all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC slash MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info. Don't send the sidelines anymore as this is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code locked on. Bet online, your online sports book experts. Yeah, I think I think that's the Knicks Trump card where you to some extent again, you need some of these guys to make those types of jumps. And it was it was a very similar story for the Suns where they needed Booker to round out his game to some extent, though I he was I think he, I'm certainly of the opinion that he was always destined to be this good. And like from the second he walked into the league, it, it felt like a certainty. And you read you read some articles about him, and it seems like that was something that he was well aware of in and of himself. But then guys like Mikel Bridges had to make that jump. Aiton had to reprioritize certain parts of the game, and even even within this season, change his work ethic. Um, and, and turn into a guy who, again, just does, like, literally fills in just about every gap for the Suns team. And I think. And you need great players to yeah. do that, right? Like, you, Devin Booker was bad on defense until he wasn't, right? Because now all of a sudden, look, he can't be bad because otherwise they're going to lose. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's, I think that's the key point. And it's, it's when, when, when you talk about a team that's greater than the sum of their parts, I think that's almost, some of it is, is situational. It's, it's all right. I, you need players like a Chris Paul that are good enough that they will push you to your extremes in situations where you have to be at your best, and you ha- and and the expectation is that you're constantly playing at your best. And similar to the Suns, it felt like that was the transformation for the Knicks this year, where there was that expectation. And and Tom Thibodeau, even even if like uh, myself and others would like lay on some criticisms for like specific game to game decisions where you can't critique him, where you can't critique Amante Williams. And we're talking about the two guys who finished one and two for coach of the year this year is that they always is that they instilled that mentality. They instilled that culture where anything less than that was unacceptable. And you give the front office credit because to your point, they filled the team with guys who bought into that. And frankly, I mean like the Crowders, the Chris Pauls, the bookers, really, really embraced it at the highest possible level and set a tone where anyone doing less than the best couple of players on the team was was unacceptable. And I, I genuinely think that that made all the difference in the world for someone like DeAndre Aiden. And and we're gonna we're gonna go back again and we're gonna I, I want to talk specifically about tonight and this series against the Clippers and how the Suns are gonna finish the playoffs. But looking a little bit ahead to the future, because this is this is what I'm curious about for both the Suns and honestly even this Knicks season, Brendan how sustainable do you think this is? Because if I'm going to be if I'm going to be a downer on the Suns, and I don't want to do that because I love this team and I think I think their run is amazing. But if I were if I were to look at this from like the most clinical downer perspective, I can make an argument that the Suns maybe not not necessarily, but maybe wouldn't have won any series in this playoffs with a healthy Anthony Davis. They might not have beaten the Nuggets with a healthy Jamal Murray. And again, that's not an insult to the Suns because I think the Lakers with a healthy Anthony Davis and a fully healthy LeBron could have won the titles. I think the Nuggets with a fully healthy Jamal Murray might have been the favorites to win the title. I think the Clippers with a fully healthy Kawhi could have been the favorites to win the title. I think even if you're going to say the Suns get through all this and they get to the finals, I think they would have been screwed against the fully healthy Nets. But that's not going to happen anymore because James Harden got hurt and then Kyrie Irving got hurt. Um, So this is a team that, to some extent, and and to some extent, every single team that wins an NBA championship benefits from luck. And and the Suns, I mean, with Chris Paul going out now, with campaign going out, they're having to fight through their own injuries. So with that wide, wide range of qualifiers, what does this season say for the Suns' future? And what are your expectations for the Suns' future 
following this season and just how good can they be? Is this, Are we looking at a perennial contender here or is this sort of the perfect storm? I think to answer the big question as succinctly as possible, I think that they are here to stay um, because I think at, as much as there's obviously some, some cloudiness around what Chris Paul's long-term future would look like just because his career is going to end at some point during the primes of the younger players, you're also going to see those guys continue to get better, right? So whatever version of, of Devin Booker there is right now, and it's a pretty darn good one, he is only 24 years old. So you would expect that when he's 27, you know, maybe he doesn't need a player quite as great as Chris Paul to kind of take the load off of him and this team can start to look a little bit different. So it'll it'll be a new version of the Suns. They'll have to adjust and figure out what post-Chris Paul looks like. But I think there's enough talent and institutional capability here to keep it to keep it going. On the other question of like the legitimacy here and all of that, um, I would say like I agree with some of the nits that can be picked. And there's going to be, I think there already has been a little bit of that narrative. Um, I would, and, and even before the playoffs, the fact that they basically, you know, them in Utah were so just much healthier than the rest of the league. I mean, Utah got hit with it late, but they basically had such a lead in the standings that it didn't end up mattering. That narrative was already there. I just think, like, I, I went through this on, on Locked on Suns recently, and it's like, you know, people really quickly already are pretty complimentary and respectful and appreciative and, and excited about the 2019 Raptors championship that asterisk faded real quick, right? Like, yes, we know that KD and Clay Thompson got hurt and that played a major role in why things went down the way that they did, but that doesn't really get talked about. And it's only been two years since that happened. So I just feel like we forget that easily and just how impossible it is to win an NBA championship, especially for a, a Suns team that knows that all too well having never won one in their history, despite a lot of great teams, is in no position to be sort of like finding exceptions to the rule, right? So I just think like if they get this done, it's it's impressive no matter what. And and it will continue, I think. I, I can I can say as a Suns fan, I will I will take all the all the qualifiers, all the asterisks in the world. This this was a team, I would say, even as, as recently as like twenty eighteen that felt a decade away from a title. So I, I maybe maybe Suns fans would, would, would disagree with me, but I speaking for myself only, I, I think to your point, you'd have to take it for what it is, and that, that would be a pretty incredible accomplishment. But Brendan as I noted, I was getting way ahead of myself. Uh, the Suns have a lot of work to do. And a Clippers team that it, it feels very, very real at this point, that even if Kawhi Leonard does not come back in this series, has the talent, has the capability to beat the Suns. I mean, this is a series that could just as easily be 2-1 in the Clippers' favor, 3-0 in the Clippers' favor, maybe with the fully healthy Chris Paul, 3-0 in the Suns' favor. These feel like two very, very even teams, is what I'm saying. And, and with that, um, how confident are you going into Game 3? And I, I guess, is, is that... Is that just contingent in your mind on on how healthy and, and comfortable and confident of a version of Devin Booker and Chris Paul we're getting? Or, or, or what do you see this game three coming down to? Well, you're probably not going to get a 10 of 40 performance from the combination of Booker and Paul. So 
I think that is probably the first place to look if just what will be different and probably better on the sun side. Um, but obviously we don't know what campaign will look like. So I just think what fascinates me heading into the game is we haven't seen the Suns really have to parry a blow, so to speak, and, and punch back since game three of the first round which was the last time that they lost a game, <laughs> as crazy as that is to say. So it's just going to be fascinating to me to see, you know, what ways do they try to open up Devin Booker with the aggressive defense of Patrick Beverly? Do we see new wrinkles of how he's going to be activated on offense? Do we see um, another major Chris Paul game where, you know, Vika Zubats in that drop is going to start to look a lot like Nikola Jokic did in that second round where Chris Paul scored 37 without even making a three-pointer. Um, I think there are obvious wrinkles we know the Suns can go to because they've done them before and we've seen these guys do it. Um, to me, it's just going to be, can the same things offensively for the Suns work? against a Clippers defense that even without maybe the best wing defender we've ever seen is physical, long, aggressive, smart, and all the ways that they've won games for, you know, two weeks now without Kawhi. So that's really fascinating to me. I I was pretty bullish on this Clippers team being competitive against the Suns, even with Kawhi potentially out for the whole series. And I think it's played out that way. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm with you, man. They're they they're they're a bull. <laughs> they're they're really really good, and I don't think people appreciate. And maybe it was it was a product of, of just how much money Steve Ballmer had to spend on this team. But but the kind of depth they built is is pretty unprecedented in in the modern NBA. And and there's just you, you just feel like wave after wave after wave of, of shooters of multi talented guys. Reggie Jackson elevating to a new level. Luke Kennard all of a sudden being a factor. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head. For me, it, it's all about Zubac and whether the Suns can play him off the floor. And to your point, of a full strength Chris Ball is probably the single biggest variable in that because we we saw it in Game One when the Clippers tried to go small against the Suns. I mean, DeAndre Ayton just just tore them up, and and he. I, I mean, we 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 did a whole separate podcast about this. How how like like what Aiton is doing to the Clippers relative to what Gobert is doing to the Clippers is just amazing. When when Gobert was a guy who who got MVP votes, I mean, and I would say rightfully based on his regular season impact. I mean, he he was just incredible. And the Clippers said, "All right, you can like do what you got to do on defense, and we're going to stretch you out, and we're going to minimize your impact there." But then offensively, you're not going to do anything around the rim because that's just not who you are. We, we can switch Reggie Jackson onto you, and good luck. Try to post him up. If, if that's your offense, we're going to blow you out of the water shooting threes. And and the Suns flipped that on their head and said, yeah, DeAndre Aiden, he can make a jump hook. He can dive to the rim and catch and finish. And, I, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm asking you now for, like, a, another key to the game or, or just to gush about Aiden, but, but personally as someone – who, who sort of saw Aiton the first few years. And I, I was a guy who, like, this isn't revisionist history. Like, going into that draft, I was saying, it, it's it's insane if they do not draft Luka Doncic. This is a guy coming into the league with the greatest resume point in NBA history, um, winning the MVP of the EuroLeague as a teenager, of, of anyone to ever come into the NBA. And, and for him to not go number one, it's insane. I'd still argue that to some extent. And, and maybe that colored my view of Aiton, but I always looked at Aiton and I was like, you know what, he's going to put up good numbers, but... This just like he has, he has to take such a big jump, at least as a rookie, to really contribute to winning. Second year, I was a little bit more optimistic. And for him to turn into what he is now so quickly, and, and I said it before, 
and I'll say it again right now. And that's really one of the few centers in the NBA who could play in this series is, is pretty astounding. DeAndre Ayton largely, and it goes back, I, I feel sometimes embarrassed talking about this team because I could talk to you about them all day, but I get to these walls where I do have to throw my arms up to a certain extent because this guy makes absolutely no sense as a basketball player. He doesn't take free throws, just doesn't. He's seven feet tall and does not get to the line. He, you know, rarely blocks shots. He, he hardly gets blocks. You know, maybe he'll get two in a game max, but he's not going to pile up, you know, Anthony Davis level of turnover creation, you know, have these three, four, five stock nights with steals and blocks combined. He's, he's nowhere near that type of player. And yet he doesn't miss any field goal attempts seemingly. He shot, I think the stat was 70% or higher in 12 straight games with some sort of like record in NBA history leading through game two. And he is one of the biggest rim deterrents in the league and is doing, you know, a, a decent Bam Adebayo impression in these playoffs. So he, he makes no sense statistically, but he's been an incredible and impactful guy all, all postseason long, raised his game to a crazy level. This was a player who heading into the postseason, a lot of Suns fans had a question about as far as like, you know, was he up to it? Was he was he going to be able to stay on the floor, like you said? Was he going to, you know, make an impact on both ends? Was he going to be a guy that, you know, got benched in some, some situations? He did not close the season very strong, and he has exceeded anyone's wildest imagination. So, um, yes, de- definitely deserves to be gushed about, and has earned himself unforetold millions of dollars, and we will see uh, what he continues to do. But you're right. There is a really tiny amount of players who could do what he has done against Anthony Davis, Nikola Jokic, and now this tiny Clippers lineup that doesn't even have a center sometimes in back-to-back-to-back rounds. It's, It's pretty unreal. All right, I want to ask you about one more guy before before getting a prediction from you and, and sending you on your way, Brendan. But Mikael Bridges, do you think, is there another level for him to go to in these final two rounds? Because that, that's, sort of, that's sort of my feeling on, on, on this team. It's that to get by the Clippers and then to get by presumably the Bucks, but who, who knows at this point in the NBA Finals, I think they need that fourth guy. And, and maybe that, it, it, look, if Chris Paul and Devin Booker can play their best basketball for six to I guess really six games at the same time it might not matter because they there's no team left that has two players better than the two of them and you could you could make a case that on the right night that they each of them could be the best player on any of these teams left but I don't think that's going to happen I just I with Chris getting back into rhythm with book having to deal with the mask I don't know why, maybe just a sinking like like Nick Suns fan feeling in my stomach, but I feel like something will go wrong on that front. And I, I think they do need that those integral support pieces. And I mean the first two games of the series it was campaign stepping up and being that guy. And maybe maybe you have a game where Cam Johnson hits six threes. Or or maybe Aiton takes it up another level and scores thirty points. But it feels like he's sort of at his max in terms of offensive output. To me, I, I think Bridges kind of has to be that guy. And, and this is this could be entirely a miss on my part and something I haven't seen enough in the playoffs, but I got the feeling during the regular season there were like moments of, of self-creation from him that I, I've seen in like fits and spurts in the playoffs, but maybe not quite as sustained, which again totally makes sense because the playoffs, especially as you go round to round to round, get harder and harder for everyone. To some extent, it's amazing that he's been as good as he has. 
throughout this postseason. But I got to ask you, is there another level there? Because to me, if he, if he can hit that and string together, maybe not even a couple 20-point games, but a couple like 16 to 18-point games, few plus threes, just a couple of those like surreal like length plays defensively that can be momentum changers where he gets to come from behind block or something. To me, that'll be the the, the guy that, that pushes the Suns over the top. I previewed this 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 game obviously in in numerous places as we tend to do on the network, giving people stuff every day. And Bridges to me is going to be important for the reasons you outlined. You know his his energy, his three and D ability, but also I think this one way to to beat back against the aggressiveness of the Clippers, the way that they um, seem to just be kind of swallowing up the ball movement and spacing style that the Suns prefer is to attack the rim more. And we've seen Bridges, people who have watched this series, I'm sure even have noticed it, be pretty tentative in this against this this Clippers team. I think, you know, they have a way of playing you really physically, making you pretty intimidated and He's passed up open shots. He's missed, you know, layup opportunities and, and tossed up mid-rangers instead. Like all these ways where there are chances, like you said, that you could have easily seen him get a 15 to 20 point night. And instead he's he's hovered a little lower. So he's filled his role. He's been pretty solid. I think in game two, he was not very good. Um, and then in game three, had to sit with bench, uh, sit on the bench with foul trouble early um, only played 26 minutes if I'm remembering right so a game where Bridges is able to stay on the floor guard Paul George more often and score a little bit I, again like I, I understand what I'm asking uh, that's that's a pretty ridiculous um, amount of responsibility but without pain and like you said not knowing for sure that we're going to get a complete bounce back from the backcourt I think Bridges is is a guy who who's going to have to have a pretty nice two way game on the road to get this win. I'm in total agreement with you, and and I got to send you out on this, Brendan. How, how does this all end for Phoenix? Do they get out of this Clippers series? Do they lose in seven in the NBA Finals? Do they do they win in seven and send Devin Booker off to Team USA on the highest of possible notes? Uh, what, what how is this going to all finish up? I did love the idea on uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast that Sirit so he had of. Basically, Devin Booker winning the finals in seven games with the Suns and then effectively traveling backward in time to go to Tokyo because of the way that the time zones work and then basically suiting up to play with Team USA. It would be a superhero moment. I want a movie made. I want a, a mini series, whatever we can get. Um, so that's probably for the drama what I'm rooting for. If I'm being practical and actually giving you some some real analysis, my 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 guess is that they do beat this Clippers team. I think that what they did, what they showed in games one and two, while we know the Clippers have been really resilient this postseason, they're without their best player. And I think the Suns just showed that when they are at their best, that they can beat the Clippers. And all you have to do is do that two more times. And I think that's doable, um, especially with home court advantage. And then in the finals... I mean, man, if it is the Bucks, which it's it's seeming to trend that way, I think the Bucks are the better team in that series. Those two teams, I don't know how many you know Knicks fans necessarily tuned in. They not a lot of them were nationally televised. I think one of them was in February, but the Bucks and the Suns have been neck and neck. Like if you look over the past two seasons, I think those teams probably the margin of all the games they've played is single digits. Like they tend to bring the best out of one another. Drew Holiday, Devin Booker would be awesome. Uh, Giannis. 
they basically had DeAndre Ayton defend Giannis pretty much every time they've they've matched up, which would just be a ridiculous game by game thing to watch. So it does feel like that would be a pretty long series, a pretty fun series, and uh, that's all I can really ask for. I don't know if they would win. I'm not ready to <laughs> I'm not ready to let myself down by getting my hopes too high on any of that stuff. But I do think they have it in them to win a championship. They've proven that and. There's not anybody in their path right now that I think would be the overwhelming favorite to beat them. You know what, Brendan? I'm, I'm smiling ear to ear. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. I'm, I'm just as excited about that future, which which given given our shared and, and our collective shared history as Suns fan and Knicks fans means all of our hopes will be crushed. But on that happy note, Brendan, I'll, I'll send you out. Uh, but before I do, can you tell everyone where once again where they can find all your work and where they can find uh, your newly verified, once again, congratulations, uh, social media? Yeah, we are all looking nice online now with the blue check marks. Yeah, you can follow me at BrendanClean14 on Twitter. If you do want to follow along on this Suns run, just listen to Locked On Suns wherever you get Locked On Knicks. I'm sure they will both be available there. And uh, yeah, as Gavin said at the top, my writing is all around, so you'll you'll see it on Twitter. I just want to say, Knicks fans should be invested. I really not 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 just because of me, but I, I do I do think there's a brotherhood between the Suns and the Knicks, and and the common struggles of both franchises over the last fifty or so. Years. You can get some nice orange gear that matches both teams. I mean, every everyone I knew growing up in New York loves Steve Nash. So there's I, I really do think there's an overlap. But but thanks again, Brendan, and and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Adam.